One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of the call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Wadsbiz. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. You're watching a show we call The Call, where we analyze 10 stocks that you suggest. I put them to an expert panel. We also uh, add a bonus stock of the day, a stock that's in the news. And uh, today the, uh, the panel is Rob Callup from uh, Macro. Rob, good to see you, mate. Thanks for having me, David. And Owen Raskovich from Rask Media. Owen, great to have you back. Always good to have you on on the call and um, don't forget to follow uh, RAS Media, um, uh, a great platform for uh, that analyzes different stocks. And uh, in my research today on some of the stocks we're going to cover, I notice uh, you've done recent reports on them. So you're the full bottle on the island. Welcome. <laughs> How are you going? Thanks. Thanks for having me, gents. Thanks, Koshi. I appreciate the introduction. Doing very yeah, well. No, it's always good to have you here. Look, let's get straight into it because I have a um, not one stock of the day, but two. They're actually related. Uh, I thought we'd get the guys' view on Ampol and Viva Energy. Uh, they top our watch list today. The Morrison government, of course, committing $2.3 billion to ensure at least two oil refineries are backing Australia's sovereign fuel production capability. On the back of the commitment, Ampol uh, saying little will run until 2027, backed by annual payments well over $100 million to get it through time periods of low refining margins. And Beaver Energy also committing to operate its Geelong refinery at least until 2027 with aid from a number of government initiatives, including a, full, a fuel security service payment. Now, the company expects to receive about $40 million in payments through to June 30 this year. And um, Rob Callett, that's not a bad um, fill-up for both uh, Viva and Ampol, is it? The government, of course, sort of tending to secure um, assets for security reasons now. Yeah, well, the market's obviously quite like it. It's up 6 and 8% respectively. Right. Um, look, I think we had about six refineries at one stage. We're down to two. Yeah. Um, the actual deal is that the government will give them 1.8 cents per litre, which works out to be about $2.90 a barrel right. in subsidy payments. If the margin they're making on that barrel uh, is uh, $7.30 or below, mm. um, all the way up to uh, if they're making $10.20 um, per barrel in margin, at that point in time, the subsidy would cut out. So right. effectively what it means is <clears throat> if they're making $10.20 or less prior to this announcement, they're now going to make a minimum uh, margin of $10.20, okay. uh, which is why obviously the stocks are up on that. Um, look, they've also got another con contribution uh, plan. So if... Um, for every dollar the company wants to spend in capex, the government will match that dollar. 
up to 125 million Gee. total donations. So uh, combined, they can actually do a $250 million uh, CapEx spend and only have to pay half of it. Uh, and not surprisingly, uh, they've both come out and said, yeah, yeah, that's about what we're going to be spending. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, $125 million each right. uh, for the government. Uh, look, out of the two companies, we're actually preferring uh, Viva Energy. We think it's slightly right. better pres- positioned. Uh, it's uh, already working on uh, a low sulfur LNG project. So, right. um, yeah, of the two, that would be our favourite. But right now, Koshi, where the share prices are after today's movement, uh, I think you'd be selling the news and waiting for it. Oh, so you wouldn't be buying them at this price? No, you'd, I wouldn't be, be buying selling them and um, look to... Um, yeah, potentially buy pullback. back into maybe uh, Viva Energy on a pullback. Right. Um, not as interested in Ampol. Right. Um, look, I think both of them have already shown today that they've started to come off their highs yep. and are below the opening price. So one of those things, most of the time, um, you want to sell early and then yep. just wait for the heat to come out and see where it settles. Okay. I think Aristocrat had a similar kind of announcement today. It was up um, 8%, 10%, spike got over $40, and now it's under 39 Right. So okay. a similar thing will probably play out with uh, Ampol and Viva Energy okay. today. All right, Owen, what do you think of Viva and Ampol on the back of this use? I think I came on the show not too long ago to talk about Viva, um, and I know I've done the rounds with Ampol before as well. I think, um, you know, bigger picture, if we just step back for a moment, we love these short-term catalysts um, if we're shareholders, but how did it, how did it get this way? Um, and the question is, you know, can, is it sustainable? As a long-term investor myself, if I'm looking to own these companies, for five or ten years, am I sure that you know that the, the margins are sustainable? And to be honest, the answer that I have to come back to with both of the companies is no. I don't know. Um, and the, the fact is that we're getting a lot of cheap imports. Um, I think this is a great move. I think when we spoke about this last time, we said that this would probably be the outcome. Um, I think this is a great move for consumers, for businesses, for our country, and just from a national security perspective as well. But as investors, you know, we don't have to own everything in the market, so. For me, I actually prefer Ampol of the two businesses, but I'm not in a rush to buy either of them right now. Right. Would you be doing like Rob if you've been a, sort of a, a long-term investor in them and you've seen this little spike up? Would you take some profits? I probably would, Koshi, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I probably would because I think there, if you're looking for yield, I think there are other emerging companies and even you know the banks are looking pretty good right now. So um, I think there are other places to get yield. Right. Um, so that would be the primary reason I buy them. But for me, it's yeah. a bit of a pass. It is really interesting how the government's being involved in this, Rob, because you just look at the cyber attack on that oil pipeline in the US that's created shortages yep. uh, of, of fuel suppliers in the US, both jet fuel as well, which is um, important. Governments are now honing in on these, uh, if you like, national security industries to make sure they're viable, aren't they? Yeah, maybe we could get a lot more of that. Yeah, look, I think it's all a matter of the government trying to uh, start the stimulus of the economy, you know, yeah. uh, making sure that there's always going to be supply of, um, you know, these, these core products that we need. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. All right, um, globalisation is sort of now starting to come back a bit as everyone goes, oh, globalisation is good, except if you trust the people as part of a globe. And when you don't, you want to have those um, uh, those fundamental industries under control. All right, Owen, let's go into uh, the stocks that our viewers want us to take a look at. And Joe wants a view on Flight Centre, the big uh, the big travel agency that is always seen as uh, 
a, a prime stock for when the economy opens up? Are we hmm. any closer to, to liking Flight Centre? I think Flight Centre is the type of business that just kept on giving uh, for so for so many years. Founder-run business. Um, I've, I've often looked at Flight Centre and thought, is this only five years away from, you know, closing up the doors, but it just keeps going. And I think that's because of the business, the culture inside the business. Um, you know, it's omni-channel now. It's not just a storefront, it's online. I think um, coming out of COVID now, I think 30% of the sales that the business puts through in um, total transaction value is online. So, I mean, there are green shoots emerging in, on the digital front for Flight Center. The, the reality is if this, and this is the question which I don't think I have the answer for right now, but the question is, how long does it take to return to pre-COVID levels? And yeah. is the business, you know, on the back of that, is the business going to be leaner and more profitable? I think I can answer the second one, which is I think it will be more profitable. They've had some huge cost, cost out initiatives. Um, they are looking to close stores that they might have closed in four or five years. They've, they're planning to close them in 12 to 18 months. Um, in March, we saw a pretty big uptick in terms of volume going through the platform. I don't know about you, gents, but for me, as soon as the doors open to go travel, um, you know, provided everything's safe, I'll be doing that because I think many Australians and indeed people around the world are overdue a holiday. And so I, I think Flight Center's business is, is a good one. But one thing to keep in mind is that the, the shares on issue have um, increased by over 50% in the last 18 months. So that means if you're comparing past prices to current prices, you have to be really mindful that it actually has to make up a lot more ground to return to those prices. So don't anchor on prices. Um, make sure you're focusing on the cash flow fundamentals of the business. I think there will come a time to buy a flight center. I'm just not sure that is now. I probably wouldn't be selling now. So for me, it's a hold. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, that's interesting, is that because you, you've got to remember all those stocks that came to the market with, uh, with big, big fun, fundraising, big issues uh, to get mm. them through COVID. So, uh, Rob, what do you think of flight center? Yeah, we'd agree with Owen. It's a hold for us at the moment. Uh, we do like the whole uh, thematic of you know global uh, travel opening up again, um, just to uh, help people who might have suffered from being a, a flight centre shareholder all this time. Uh, we are talking about the reemergence of a bubble, travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. That's supposed to be starting today. Um, there's another travel bubble between Australia and Singapore that's supposed to be starting on the 26th. Um, obviously, half of the revenue the flight centre gets is actually between Australia and New Zealand travel. So that's is that should, right? Yeah, 49.7%. Yeah. Wow. Wow, so, that was pre-COVID. Yeah, that's the most recent uh, revenue wow. composition. Obviously. Okay, all yeah. right. So, um, so all that's pretty good. And as far as um, uh, you know, having the global population, you know, um, have their COVID shots. Um, interesting to note that uh, the first hundred million uh, vaccinations took sixty-one days to roll out globally. The last hundred million vaccines happened in five days. Wow. So we're definitely accelerating as more countries are getting in there and yeah, immunising. Just not here. Although it's not a race, that's what we've been told. Look, scientists originally said that they'd need about um, 70, 75% vaccine to stop it from. Yeah. Uh, and that came down to the simple fact that if you had the virus and you bumped into someone, that uh, you'd probably pass on to three people before you identified. So if you can have two of those three people or slightly more uh, vaccinated, then you're not passing it on to yep. any more than one person. Um, look, with all that being said, um, you know, you've got to look at their cash balance. You know, they've done a big raising. Uh, the cash balance is about 1.5 billion, gives them a cash runway of about two and a half years. Right. So they should be fine to get through this. All that being said, if someone's out there uh, with Flight Centre and they're not 
don't care whether they hold it or not. We'd actually tell them to do a rotation into Webjet. Webjet's so got you a, prefer Webjet? 100% always have. Right. Uh, right. 56 month uh, runway for cash. Um, institutions have just shown much more of a, a, a preparedness to give them money in exchange for equity and, and right. debt securities as well. So Webjet Overflight Centre, but if you're in it, happy to hold it. Okay, all right. And get your vaccination. I got mine on Thursday. Not one reaction whatsoever. Perfect. Was, yeah, yeah. No was, blood clots? No, <laughs> not even a sneeze. Uh, not even an aching arm. So it was just perfect. Thoroughly recommend it. Um, all right. Um, Rob Jules wants a view on our second stock, Treasury Wine Estate, of course. Chief Executive Tim Ford made a... Um, um, a trading update last week, which was seemed to be pretty well received by the market, um, pivoting away from China and trying to launch the, the Penfolds brand into a, a bigger and better space in the United States. Yeah, well, well they had to really, didn't yes. they? Um, so in China, their brand awareness is about 50%. So it's fantastic. Wow. And because of that, they could charge really large margins on that premium product. Yep. Um, in America, it's not quite as well known. It's only 10% brand awareness. So if you're wanting to get involved in um, treasury wine estates, basically you're backing management's ability to increase brand awareness of their premium products in America. If you think they can do that, then this is absolutely a great time to be invested. It's more of an accumulate if you're a long-term investor. In the medium term, there's lots of technical reasons why you may not want to get involved or... Um, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we see the spike up then from the trading update. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, that's been a pretty good rise. Yeah. So short term, happy to get involved. Maybe if you got fortunate enough to get a pullback to 1050, that'd be a great place for a short term investor. You'd have your stops at about 990, which is just right. below where that recent um, oh, uh, yes. you know, lows were. Um, the upside is probably capped at about $14 from a pure technical perspective. Hmm. Um, I would imagine by the time you get to those numbers, the fundamentals would start telling you that um, you know, some of these forecasts that they've put out there would start to fundamentally make the stock look a little bit um, expensive at those right. levels. Right. So you'd have to wait for another uh, round of numbers to come out to the market. Um, so yeah, I think look, they said their forecast for revenue was down 7%, EBITDA was down 9%, NPAT down 10%. So right. until those numbers start to turn, I don't think you get back over $14. Right. Um, so look, long term, I, I love the space. I've been fighting my analysts on this one probably for about four months now. Right. Uh, and it all comes down to your, your horizon of investment. So you do a long term buy on this? On a long term, would be happy to get invested. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because you look at that five year. It's pretty close to five-year lows. Or oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been monstered. And look, you know how bad can things? How how much more can things deteriorate in China? Yeah. Um, you know, understand there's this big trade war going on at the moment. At some point, you'd like to think that that war will be resolved. Maybe yeah. one of the olive branches they offer out is some kind of scale back on the uh, heavy yeah. stance they've taken on wines going into China. Yep. Okay. All right, uh, Alan, what do you think of? Treasury Wine Estate after the um, uh, after the um, sort of market update from Tim Ford mm. or Fordy as we call yeah. him at Port Adelaide, he's a big Port Adelaide fan, so he's on the right. I will turn. forgive him for that, Koshi. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, th the thing is with Treasury Wine, it's been pretty well known for a while. Is that you, you mentioned it at the top there that um, you know effectively globalisation is happening in reverse for for many countries around the world, including Australians. Australian businesses going into China. So 
Um, you know, it's a pretty good pivot in terms of the the, the use of, I guess, their supply. Um, and I, I think the key is around, you know, premium brands. We've seen a lot of companies go to and, and back again to China um, and, and find that, you know, their brand has come away damaged. You know, I think A2 Milk's going through that at the moment. Um, but for Treasury Wine, if it can find this other market, which it has, and, and to Rob's point, you know, it can uh, maintain that brand quality, then in the five to 10 year window, this could be a business that we look upon and we think, wow, why weren't we looking at it at, you know, five, 10 years ago? Um, for me, I prefer to target businesses with, with, um, in a net cash position. Um, so I, I don't mind the business. I think it's a good quality business. It's obviously um, a leading Australian brand for, for premium wines. But I think for me, um, I'd probably go Flight Center before I went with Treasury Wines um, if I was mm. playing like a bit of a turnaround in terms of you know globalization. Um, but for me, it's a hold simply because of I'd, I'd prefer to see stronger fundamentals in the business before buying. Okay. All right. There you go, Jules. Thanks for... Uh suggesting Treasury Wine Estate, Australia's um, biggest wine company, of course, Penfolds and a whole bunch of other brands as well. Um, Owen Dana wants a view on Adore Beauty, a uh, recent listing, the, uh, the cosmetics uh, chain that uh, everyone was very excited about last year when it listed, but uh, uh, boy, it's fallen out of favour in the last couple of months, has it? Yeah, it if you look at the share price, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the, the key point is here, it listed at a very good time. Um, like our next company, which we're going to talk about, um, it, it listed at a time um, and it's been through this period where online shopping has been very fashionable and, and, and the go-to for most people. Um, premium brands across all of the major the segments from skincare to hair, um, you name it, you can go on there and you can find it. I think if we look at the fundamentals of the business, however, I think it's actually quite positive. Um, we're seeing the spend per customer go up and we're seeing the number of customers um, rising rapidly. So they've got you know a, a, a new app out um, which complements the, the direct-to-website channel, which is growing strongly. So, I mean, there's no reason that most consumers can't buy many of these products, even if they're returning or repeat products that they're purchasing. There's no reason they can't buy them online. And so Adore's really capitalizing on that. And I think as this kind of vertically integrated um, niche market provider. I think it's actually a really interesting business. Um, I'd need to do a little bit more digging into the, the valuation to have really high conviction on it. But for me, for a speculative position, I think it's um, for a long-term position, I think it's actually probably a speculative buy from me, Koshi. Hmm. Okay, so one of those um, issues where it's just been hammered, it's so ugly that it's starting to hmm. turn into a bit of a swan. It's down, down so badly. A fallen angel, if you like, Koshi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Rob, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I had a couple of clients actually uh, get involved this one not too long after listing. Uh, yeah. and we tried to hold it as, as long as we could. Uh, and it's, it got to the point where um, about last week they've come out with the news uh, that the FY21 revenue guidance was only in that around 45%, which missed yeah. market expectations by 5 yeah. to 8%. The stock's been hammered. Um, we then discovered that it's extraordinarily illiquid. Uh, trying to get filled in a position uh, in, in Adores, you may well see a significant movement to the downside, um, which would be the blow-off, which you could get invested in, like Owen said. Right. But right now for us, um, we would actually be trying to lighten rather than get involved. Right. One of the problems that they've got for, that we see is they don't own any of these brands. Right. Um, so there's really low barriers to entry. 
Now, are they going to do a Coles or a Woolworths and try and come out with their own brand, um, trying to you know, keep people coming to their website? Who knows? Um, the presentation of everything they do is fantastic. You know, yep. my client was raving that she, she bought something and it came in a little box and there was a note from the CEO and there was a chocolate and, you know, um, all those <laughs> things are wonderful, um, particularly early on when you're listed to trying to make sure you're, you're growing your uh, customer base. But um, until the market changes their sentiment about it, maybe gets more liquidity in that stock, it's not one that I'd recommend holding in portfolios at the moment. Okay. All right. So that's a big drop though. Look, came on six seventy five, now about half that price. But the the issue is that they just don't own any of the brands. Is that the big yeah, idea? yeah, look, we, we were hoping for a bounce in the stock. Maybe on Thursday, it opened up a lot closer to $4. I uh, right. thought that might give it some some run up to about 440 back to where it was before the announcement came out. Just didn't, didn't get it. No, we've, we're all the way back, bottom, almost all-time lows, 339 right. uh, for, ours, for us. Let, let the stock run. You know, we thought initially it was actually going to be a really good company. It's good space. Yeah. And it got that online presence. But... Um, there are just too many things that are missing. The other thing that was a bit of a concern was with, when they reported, they said their active customers came in at um, about 680,000 and their previous 12-month numbers were 770,000. Right. So it looked like it was a drop right. um, and that may have contributed to the selling. Ah. Then they came out and said, oh, no, 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 wait, that number was only nine months worth, not 12 months. So you do the numbers, it's actually growth. It's like 920,000. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think for a newly listed company to make an error like that where they're not very, very open and disclosing, look, this number's only nine months, pro right. rata actually group. Okay. I think that in itself is also another warning sign. And like another company we'll talk about at the end of the show, uh, that's got to put a little bit of a red flag up on management. Right. And that, yeah. And that's uh, psychology and confidence in management is just so key with a lot of these companies. And if you make a mistake, takes a while to build everyone back up again. And institutions are just, you know, so ruthless when it comes to yeah. assessing management, particularly new management, or as far as a company that's newly listed and right. how their management's engaging with uh, shareholders. So okay. I think that could have contributed quite a lot. All right, okay. Uh, Owen, Alex wants a view on Redbubble, the online, uh, it's sort of basically like an online Etsy, isn't it, for, uh, uh, artists and craft world to to list their uh, list their products was a um, was has been around a long time. Found a found a lead, got a reasonably uh, new chief executive as the the founder stepped up to to being chairman. Um, a bit of a darling of COVID and was uh, hammered after the new chief executive said, "We're going to invest more in the business." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Why because, do I know? Because this is in my little super fund and was going along nicely and then got hammered. Yeah, that's, I mean, so there's, there's, two, there's two camps here, right? It's one that's very strong and adamant that says that this is just a COVID play and you should get out now. Um, and then there's another camp, which is the camp that I fall into, which is that Redbubble is actually a pretty strong cyclical uh, growth business. So yeah. the difference between Etsy and Redbubble is Redbubble is effectively an all-in-one shop. So they um, make money on the margin. So if you purchase a customized T-shirt, um, maybe it's got your favorite, I don't know, um, graphic on it from a, a TV show that you watch, and you can get that customized. You can get it on your T-shirt. You can get it on your pillow cover, whatever you want. But the thing is, um, they actually have fulfillers around the world. So think of manufacturing sites that will create the product for you. 
So you, as a consumer, you buy the product, it gets delivered. That doesn't actually come from the artist. So that's a fundamental difference with Etsy, which monetizes in a totally different way. Um, Etsy is more of a pure marketplace. You can connect your shop into it, um, but it doesn't have the same functionality as Redbubble. So Redbubble is kind of like, you know, any all three of us could have our own shop on there and we would never have to print something on a T-shirt. It would automatically happen for us. And so the reason that we like Redbubble as a very uh, long-term uh, structural growth play is because we think a lot of the cash flow flywheel that it's generating and its competitive um, position is actually underutilized and it's actually going to get stronger. So Redbubble collects the money up front from a t-shirt, say, um, and then the fulfiller will deliver that product to, to the customer, but that's not until some weeks later. And so the cash flow actually is positive as this business scales. So there's this flywheel. And so Redbubble can reinvest that into more products and more categories. And then over time, as the platform grows, which it has been, albeit in recent months, it's come off the boil a little bit in terms of website traffic. But as the platform grows and the fulfillers become more dependent upon Redbubble, Redbubble can flex that pricing power and get a wider margin over time. And independent artists love the platform. Um, it's very transparent. So I like Redbubble for a very long period of time. But um, I think the thing is that this wouldn't be a type of business that I'd be looking at through a short term, you know, one, two or three year lens. Okay. All right. So what are you saying? Avoid at buy, the moment? I, I, as a long term investor, I, I have a buy rating on it. Okay. All right. Rob, what do you think about it? Yeah, look, I think this is uh, saying we just have, it's a difference of time frame perspective. Uh, right now, we wouldn't get involved in it on the fact that, um, you know, stock dropped 23% after it missed um, yep. guidance numbers. Um, you know, 70% of their uh, revenue comes from the US. Uh, we are um, you know, more bullish on a strengthening US dollar at the moment, so that should help them out. Um, you know, the underlying business is fantastic. We saw 35% yeah. increase in revenue previously. They're forecasting 60% growth in revenue uh, moving forward. Net profit was 70% increase. They're forecasting a 550 increase in net profit moving forward. Oh. So as a company, it's doing all the things right that you would like to get invested with. So it's a great company. Who wouldn't want to own a company growing at that rate? But right now, market expectations are different to the numbers that they're actually putting forward. So let time pass where they start to reduce the market's expectations, and then all of a sudden for us, it'd be an easy buy for us. Right, so wait for the next round of financials to see if they meet their uh, their forecast. Yeah, look, to me, the risk is to the downside. When you're forecasting revenue growth of 60% and impact growth of 550%, you know, it's quite easy to miss those numbers. Right. You know, a company that's growing at 40% per annum would be a great company to be invested into. Yeah. But if that's what this company puts forward, their share price will get hit again. Right, okay. All right, good point. Um, Rob, Vince wants a view on uh, HUM. The uh, It's sort of, yes, it's, it badges itself as a buy now, pay uh, later, but it's the old flexi group, isn't it? Which is uh, a bit broader than just buy now, pay later, it has other consumer finance elements to it, but has renamed itself um, to make it a bit sexier in this market, which is uh, all on the buy now, pay later train. What do you think of HUM? Yeah. Your um, chief executive recently too? Yep, yep. Uh, look, right now we'd lighten it. Um, right. They've got, um, them, the buy now, pay later model, um, it only con contributes about 38%, yeah. which is the highest contributing division. Um, they don't do credit checks under $2,000, but 
but over $2,000 they do. Right. And that's really important. Um, on the 22nd of May, uh, the banks, including Commonwealth Bank, are going to meet up with the government and they're going to discuss all things buy now, pay later. Uh, Commonwealth Bank, which are already heavily regulated on their banking yep. product, um, are pushing very hard to have the buy now, pay later space more heavily regulated. Um, it, obviously, it's going to have minimal impact on them. They're already used to, they've got the infrastructure set up to cope with that high regulation. They're also going to be pushing for it to be done with, uh, be classified as a credit product, mm -hmm. meaning you have to do a credit check on everyone. Again, they've got the infrastructure to do credit checks. That's what they do when you get a home loan. So I think like you know, Australia becoming a republic, you know, it, it only has to happen once and you can't go back. Yep. You now the buy now, buy now, pay later product, as soon as it's classified as a credit product, it can never go back. Um, if we see some traction, um, just in the way the, the conversation or the you know, feedback on the conversation goes, it could be devastating to something like Afterpay. Um, positive for a, a, a zip and quite positive for a hum. Right. Um, obviously, if they're only talking about uh, regulatory issues, then probably going to be negative to the whole sector. Right. Um, the why, why positive for zip and not Afterpay? So Afterpay don't do any credit checks. Right. They just but give you the money. Do. They yeah. do. Yeah. Right. So and look, hum do. And hum do. Yeah. yeah. So look, I think the first thing that's likely to happen out of these talks is uh, the talk of higher regulation. Right. That's going to be negative across the board for the whole sector, right. which is why you, I wouldn't be getting clients to go and invest in it right now. But right. the second step, I think, would be to say, look, um, you know, credit product, you know, yes, we're going to call it that, in which case, you know, there's probably going to be a huge rotation, I'd imagine, out of Afterpay and Zip. And, and really, I know we're diverting off HUM here, but yeah. um, the, the, the NASDAQ listing for Afterpay would be beneficial. For HUM, um, getting back on HUM, the other side of it is, you know, it's only 38% of their business. They do yeah. have, um, you know, credit cards issued in Australia, New Zealand, yeah. um, off the back of uh, MasterCard. Um, they do pay a dividend, but just be careful about getting involved in the dividend. They're paying out at nearly 80% payout ratio. So mm -hmm. if that revenue drops, and it is forecast to drop by 8%, um, they could come under a lot of pressure in being able to maintain that dividend. Right. So for us right now, uh, anything in the buy now, pay later space, we're actually looking, or even a division within it, looking to lighten, sell any right. rally you get up until the 22nd of May. Right. Um, try and be, if you can't get out of it completely, um, try and take some kind of a hedge against it um, and then just you know mm. wait and, wait and okay. see how things look after the meeting. All right, good advice. Owen, what do you think of a hum? Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think it's um, a bit of a wait and see is probably the best course of action from here. Um, a few years ago, you would have looked at Flexi Group and thought this thing is um, it's going to be broken up or, or just sold for sold for trash. But it's um, it's actually been a really interesting turnaround with the buy now pay later product and the rebranding. I think Rebecca James, who's CEO, has done an exceptional job at making the the, the consumer side of the business more palatable, just making it more brand aware and um, exciting for consumers, which is one of the keys to buy now, pay later. Uh, just on the regulation, I think, you know, th there has to be some type of you know, regulation or something brought into the sector because we can only go on for so long when um, pay by installments is just blowing out and out and out until, you know, how long, however long it goes for. So um, I think there has to be some sort of uh, control in there because, I mean, if it, you know, if it barks like a dog, it, it bites like a dog, uh, it probably is a dog. So um, just be mindful of that um, before yeah. you get involved. Um, the, the other thing is that it's actually, you know, a pretty reasonable business 
I remember looking at uh, Hum maybe a few months ago, maybe six months ago, and thinking, it's actually not as bad as everyone thinks. Everyone thinks of Afterpay and Zip when they think about Australian buy now, pay later, but it's actually under the surface, fundamentally speaking, it's not a terrible business. To Rob's point, I, I wouldn't be relying on the dividend, especially now. Um, but, you know, it's maybe one for the watch list. So for me, uh, for now, Hum is a, a hold. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Let's uh, just recap the uh, uh, the first five stocks uh, here at the call. Stock of the day, um, Ampol and Viva um, from uh, both the guys there um, after the government incentive to keep their refineries going. Um, basically, both of them saying it's a great time to take profits on, on both of them at the moment and wait for it to uh, to settle down and pull back again um, because they're they're up quite significantly as a result of it. Uh, Fly Centre is a hold from both, although uh, Rob pre- prefers in this in this travel sector Webjet by far. Uh, Treasury Wine, we have um, uh, Rob. You were saying long term buy yep. for Treasury Wine Estates um, after the update from uh, from Tim Ford. Owen is a hold. Uh, Adore Beauty is a sell from Rob. Um, and a speculative long-term buy from uh, Owen. Uh, Redbubble, a no from Rob, uh, likes the business, but uh, not at the moment. Uh, They've got to start delivering on their forecast to build confidence back into the market. Uh, Owen likes it as a long-term buy. And uh, on Hum, a hold from Owen and a sell from uh, from Rob. Uh, Here on the call, We've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July. Uh, any st- thanks to our partner, NAB Trade, any stock that comes up before an expert panel and they both say yes to it goes into the calls portfolio. If the stock comes up again at a future panel and it doesn't get unanimous by, it goes out of the portfolio. So let's check how it's been performing. Uh, for the last week, down almost 2% for the month, down 4% since the 1st of July, up 26%. Some of the stocks recently added to the calls portfolio, uh, Nanosonics, uh, NetWealth, Janus Henderson Group, Smart Group, TPC Consolidated. Some of the stocks taken out, Next DC, Family Zone, and Kogan. You can take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbys.co forward slash portfolio. Coming up this afternoon, Kelvin Wong from CMC Markets joins us as he takes us through the latest data out of China. More importantly, how it will impact on your investments. That's from 1.10 p.m. Eastern here on Ausbiz. All right, let's take a look at uh, our second uh, five stocks for the call in this hour. And uh, Owen, uh, John wants a view on Atomos, Tomos, um, which produce, um, uh, if you like, video cinema quality uh, devices to uh, to stream from your iPhone and um, uh, really interesting Melbourne-based company. Supply to Apple has links with Apple as well. Really interesting technology. Yeah, I think the, the technology itself is uh, brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm connected to you right here through, through a camera, camera as well, um, connected into my Mac. But I know from setting up these types of things, that it can be a real headache for anyone that's kind of in that semi-professional market. You know, if you're trying to run a podcast, or you're trying to run video casts, um, you know, media is becoming a bit more fragmented these days and uh, Atomos is effectively riding that wave. 
um, having having listened not too long ago, it's actually a really interesting business because um, it's constantly on the edge of innovation. Um, you know, I, I saw recently that they're, they're now working with 8K cameras. I've never, I don't think I've ever even watched something in 8K, let alone thought about recording in it. Yeah. And so um, they're they're able to do that and stream wirelessly um, in local environments, which is which is for the for the nerds out there who love uh, videography and and getting geeky with some of the the specs. I mean, these are some of the things that are driving the future of streaming services, um, on-demand services. So it's really at that bleeding edge, which makes it a really interesting Australian business. I think coming back to the business itself, the smaller business, um, you know, smaller cap company. So um, that's actually a tick for me. Uh, Melbourne-based, Australian-based, um, lots of local development, which is another tick for me. We actually have many success stories in Australia in the audiovisual landscape. Just many of them aren't listed. Um, so. What I, what I like about it, um, it's got a pretty strong balance sheet for a small company thanks to its listing, um, and it's free cash flow positive. So um, that, that's not that, those two things you can't say about every small cap technology company in Australia. Um, now, that said, um, growth has slowed a bit. So, uh, you know, I'd be pretty cautious about that. I'd want to see that um, regain some momentum, it, the business regain some momentum in terms of revenue in the next six to 12 months. So for me, it's probably a hold until we know more about that revenue piece uh, how is the uptake of the new products, these software updates that are coming out, are they being received well by by users? If they are, then that could be um, a pretty positive sign going forward. So it's just a hold for me uh, until the next um, reporting date. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, that that new sort of product is their, their Ninja product is a, the, mm. that came out. Rob, what do you think of Atomos? Yeah, look, I think it'd be amiss of me not to say that uh, I think we covered this with uh, Chris McDonald uh, back on the in early August last year when right. it was 43 cents. And yeah. I think that's when it's first got into the um, Ausbiz portfolio. So yes. if Ausbiz, um, people have been watching since then, they're up 100%, which is yep. nice. Yep. Um, look, we're definitely holding it uh, for clients who have it. Uh, we've actually been trading around the position, keeping a core amount and just trading uh, you know, the highs and the lows. If right. you're not in it and you like the the long-term uh, play, I think accumulating it in that 85 to 90 cent range would be a good place right. to get started. Okay. It's definitely at the bottom of the range as of the last you know, four, five, six months. Um, look, as uh, Owen mentioned, it's got positive cash flow at the moment around 4.3 million versus the last period, which was um, 12 million loss. Uh, and that's because it's, it's heavily impacted by COVID. So as we come out of the COVID environment, you've got um, you know movies starting to, to make their movies out here in Australia and around yeah. the world. You've got um, socialites getting out there, um, traveling, wanting to have the latest and greatest um, photos and yeah. just get for the, for the influencer market. The influencer yeah. market, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, and again, just small businesses as well. It gives you professional quality yeah. uh, imaging that you can load up there. The, the, the primary thing is actually, um, it actually comes out from Apple. It's the codec that yes. compresses the file and makes it easy to send and doesn't yeah. take up all your memory. Look, the, the revenues um, was up 120%. The net profit was up 170%. So, you know, definitely there should be a place for it in your portfolio, um, just in the little specky end of your portfolio. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we, we'd, we'd accumulate it. If you haven't got it, we, we'd keep holding it if you do. Okay. All right. Um, our next stock, uh, Rob, Eric wants a view on uh, WiseTech Global, the, uh, the big logistical freight and logistical uh, software company, um, um, uh, still sort of founder-led. Uh, I always like to, uh, to tell the story because my brother-in-law used to manage ACDC and uh, oh. the founder of 
WiseTech used to be a roadie uh, oh, okay. and was in charge of the logistics of when um, uh, ACDC were on tour, which yeah. is a massive logistical exercise. Imagine. Um, sort of used to run that with a special spreadsheet that he had that, that obviously trained him up well for, for WiseTech. Absolutely, <laughs> it's yeah. It's a great story. Yeah, great, great um, yeah, beginning. Um, yeah. Look, so obviously not, not surprised, and he uses the logistical <laughs> space. Um, look, I think, uh, you know, 100% of the WiseTech uh, revenue is generated from provision of software solutions for the logistics industry. Yep. Um, you know, as we go to a more um, global digital commerce environment, um, you know, that's looking to provide long-term thematics behind mm -hmm. uh, WiseTech. So it's an easy company for us to get involved in. Uh, look, it is trading at the bottom of the range that it's been in since it did its report back in August, yeah. uh, which was very favourable. The report that it had in February, not so much, missed, missed some expectations. If you're a long-term investor, we'd be comfortable buying it here. Just be careful of the technicals here. Um, you know, If it breaks down below this $25 level, it could potentially get down to $22 to $20. Um, mm. so, so maybe it's more of an accumulate rather than just go out and buy your whole position. Just right. take a little bit in case we are at the bottom of the range. But long-term thematics are great. You know, revenue is up 20% on forecasts and 80% um, net profit after Because it had, had issues with its transparency for a while, didn't it? And, and governance and things like that. Has it got over that? It, it redid its board, didn't it, yeah. as well, which focused on that? Yeah, so when... when um, COVID first hit, one of the major things that people lost clarity on was how uh, it was going to be able to get their products in and that whole supply chain and the disruption to supply chain yeah. hit a lot of companies. Well, if that's your actual business, um, it, it causes extra problems. So um, look, moving forward, those things should get a lot clearer, You know, particularly if you're happy to hold it through till August, September, October, the back right. half of the year, uh, they'll have another update, uh, more guidance, we'll see how quickly the COVID vaccine is being rolled out and if there are any issues with it, uh, the picture should become a lot clearer at that point okay. in time. All right. Owen, what do you think of WiseTech? Uh, I think WiseTech's one of the, the better companies on the ASX, to be honest. Uh, it's got founder ownership. It's got a good balance sheet. It's growing fast. It's a sticky product. It's very hard for customers to give up. Um, so there, some of the transparency issues in the past that WiseTech faced was as a business, WiseTech creates very, very complex software. So think about, you know, uh, software to handle um, parcels going from one geography to another with different jurisdictions, with different uh, import tariffs, with different customs procedures. WiseTech effectively has to integrate the world. Um, and then other software vendors can bolt their software into WiseTech and use their CargoWise platform. And the way the CargoWise platform works is that you pay depending on how much you use. So it's like a traditional software, like API type model, where depending on how many pings um, you, you use on, on CargoWise depends how much you pay. And so the, the great thing to Rob's point is that WiseTech scales with the customer, but at the same time, it actually um, you know, loses if the customers aren't, don't, the freight forwarders, for example, aren't forwarding as much. Mm. Um, the transparency issues were more so around WiseTech's issue is that it's, it's, a, it's a good problem, but it's a hard, it's, it's, it's not a good problem on the one hand. The thing is, to create this software is very, very, very expensive. It requires very um, sophisticated engineering talent, and it requires know-how in, in particular geographies. And so WiseTech has to decide, 
do we build or do we buy in key geographies? So if I'm going to expand into Spain, I've got this brilliant global network of um, logistics software. Do I buy the local incumbent and just bolt them into our system or do I build? And sometimes WiseTech chooses to buy. And when that happens, investors want clarity over what, how much was paid, what the software will be doing and the run rate and the, you know, is it, is it earnings accretive? You know, what it tells about the business. And due to accounting rules, it can actually be quite difficult to get a handle right. on exactly what's going on in these subsidiaries. So um, it's, it's a bit of a complicated business. If you, if you like software companies, I think WiseTech has got to be on your watch list as a minimum. I'd like to see the price a little bit lower before I um, hit, a, hit a buy rating on it. Um, so for me, it's a hold right now. But if, if it falls towards $20, keep a lookout because I think it will be um, a worthwhile addition to most growth investors' portfolios. So you're saying if it gets from 25 to 20, you'd be into it. That's a big yeah, gap. Be, it <laughs> is, it is. But if you look at the recent momentum and, and cast your mind back a year ago to COVID, um, yeah. you know, these tech companies these days, interest rates rising, yeah. inflation looming. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, things in the works that could give you the opportunity to buy at the right yeah, time. Okay. Yep. Good point. All right. Um, Owen, Nick wants a view on the uh, on the WAM microcap. Uh, Wilson Asset Management has uh, WAM has a whole bunch of these listed investment companies that that they have. This one looks at the microcap area. Mm. Yeah. So using uh, Wilson's uh, Wilson Asset Management's traditional kind of formula, if you like, which is undervaluation catalysts and can we have dividends please and i think it's a it's it's a track record that stands the test of time you've got to you know you've got to look at it and think the investment portfolio um actually within the listed investment company itself has performed very well i think it's you know past performance is not a guarantee of future performance but um if we look we're looking at over 20 percent since 2017 in terms of annualized performance obviously as a lick investor an lic investor you only benefit if the the price or the share price of the lick matches the NTA, which is what the, the performance is based on. Um, and so far, they've done a very good job at that. Wilson, uh, you know, they are the best lick provider in the country, it'd be safe to say, um, and they pay a decent dividend. I think, you know, for me as an active investor, I, I've never held the, the micro cap fund in my portfolio because I choose to just go direct and, and buy the small companies myself. But if you're the type of investor that doesn't like the volatility of small caps, I think um, for a long-term position, I think it's actually a good way to get exposure to a basket of micro-cap companies. I'd, I'd call below 300 million uh, small cap myself. So um, I think you know for small cap exposure, it's actually a pretty good long-term long-term bet. Just it's got to be long-term okay. because it, this is a business that uh, will ex- or a lick that will experience volatility. So long-term buy from me. Okay, um, Rob, what do you think of the way micro-cap? Are they all, is the portfolio all in listed companies or because no. they have a lot of private equity ones, scale ups, that sort of thing, don't they? Yeah, so I was going to say they're also in pre-IPOs as yes. well and, yeah. um, you know, seed, <clears throat> seed ventures as well. Yeah. Um, look, their performance versus the small ordinary has been outstanding. It's actually 13% outperformance. Uh, I think the, the small ordinaries have been up about 10, 11%. They're like 23, 24 um, on average over the last, like, well, since inception. Right. So they're doing really well. Um, in this environment, though, uh, we've been telling clients for a while, be really careful about um, this inflationary environment we're going to move into and the impacts that can have in the tech space. Um, accordingly, you know, if you're in small caps, they're very similar kind of um, 
you know, thematics to, to the tech space. You know, they, they've typically got large amounts of debt. Revenue isn't exactly, they're not cash flow positive yet. The yeah. revenue is still growing. Uh, and those things can potentially be harmful uh, to, to a small business because all of a sudden your cost of funding goes up significantly. So um, to, to Owen's point, you know, we would prefer to get out there and, and select the individual small caps that we would like to do. But if you're someone who just like to pass that responsibility on to someone else and buy a basket, then you'd probably have to back these guys in right. to keep doing their job. Okay. Um, we would prefer to get um, a little bit more confirmation of uh, their performance as we enter into this uh, inflationary environment before we bought it. We'd right. hold it if you had it, okay. um, but we're probably about, I'd say three to four months away at the earliest before we'd actually say it's a buy. We'd have to see the performance as the inflation story picks up. Okay. All right. Uh, now, Ben wants a view, um, Rob, on the Centuria Industrial REIT. Mm-hmm. What's your view on Yeah. So, of course, Centuria is the big property portfolio manager and has industrial, has a commercial REIT and yep. a whole portfolio of them, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So, look, I've been on this show a number of times um, promoting uh, Goodman Group and how much yep. we've liked that. Um, Centuria are very similarly aligned and right now, we're actually uh, believing that the intrinsic value uh, of Centuria offers more upside than Goodman Group. So yeah. uh, we're in the process of rotating out of Goodman and into Centuria. Um, we're loving the fact that they've got the long-term thematics of uh, being exposed to the manufacturing and distribution centers. In fact, those two divisions alone add up to about 60% of their business. Oh, okay. um, the whole thing is industrial. Um, yeah. As we go to this you know, um, digital um, commerce environment um, companies understand they must have a digital footprint uh, which means they have to have somewhere to store those goods so um, you know REITs that are heavily exposed to the industrial space should outperform in the long term in our opinion so um, yeah it's a definite buy for us no Mm. problems adding it to your portfolio okay Owen I'll probably sit on the fence with this one um, just because I, 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 to a lot of Rob's points, I, I agree with him in terms of, you know, having warehouses and, and those physical presences are essential for many of these online businesses. I think a lot of people forget that. Uh, for me, just with in terms of looking at it from a top-down perspective, in terms of uh, capitalization rates and valuations of properties, I think my personal preference is just to take a, I, I guess, it's just a cautiously optimistic approach here. Um, if interest rate, if interest rates for some reason were to go up or the cost of capital was to go up, I think um, many properties would be hurt, not necessarily straight away. Um, Centuria is a very reputable provider of a real estate investment trust and investment manager. Um, so I think you're in good hands. I just would prefer to adopt a wait and see approach at this time. I think if you're looking for yield, I'd go for an operating, a more operating focused business. So maybe something like a Brickworks or a Solpat. Um where you still get that, that kind of yield play and the play on assets. You know, Brickworks does a really good job of releasing the value of its assets over time. Um, so that's probably where I took my portfolio to over Centuria. Okay. And uh, Rob likes Brickworks as well for the same reason? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, if you're after income. Uh, Owen, uh, final stock. Callum wants a view on Orica, the uh, big chemical and explosives group. Uh, just blow stuff up. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe uh, providing the inputs to allow things to be blown up, we'll say. Um, so, yeah, Orico, it's a, it's a business that I don't follow too closely. You know, I've um, been looking at ASX companies for about 10 years now, and 
Oracles was one of those ones that's never really made it to the top of my watch list simply because uh, I struggled to see, I, I believe it's, you know, a pretty competitively advantaged business. I don't think it's just capable of, of growing beyond the market return. So um, for me, I look at Orica through two lenses. I look at it through its margins and through its, its balance sheet strength. Um, it's in a pretty uh, a negative position in terms of um, its balance sheet, its net debt. Um, it's, it's a profitable business. It, it, it turns out a profit almost every other year. But um, the thing is, its margins are pretty th- thin. So those are kind of two things that don't really gel with my investment philosophy, which is long-term investing and growth-focused businesses. Um, ultimately, the business, you have to buy it for a reason, right? If you're buying it for yield, I would say there probably are better opportunities. If you're buying it for growth, again, um, just understand what the catalysts are. For me, um, from my limited understanding, if I'm honest, I don't see catalysts on the horizon. Maybe maybe Rob knows more about that than me. But uh, for me, it's it's a hold at best. Maybe I'd sell it and recycle the money into something else. Okay. Rob? Um, this is an example of being too good at what you do. Um, they're the largest blast services company in the world uh, and they've blown up their share price. It's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. They actually came out and increased their guidance and then missed both the increased guidance and what they were before they increased their guidance. Oh my like, goodness. How do you get something so incredibly wrong? I don't know. But like we were talking about earlier in the show, um, institutions have zero faith in the management over there. Right. They actually uh, replaced their, their senior management um, division, whole new bunch of people in there. Um, you know, the day they came out, they're down 18%. Um, look, you know, their, their forecast- How revenue- would that have been in February, do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, just looking it, at it the was. one you chart. Yeah, yeah. That was the market <laughs> update. And then the, also Smashed. the um, new CEO <coughs> succession was announced there. Um, like, I've, honestly, I don't know how you get it so wrong. Um, you know, even if they just held their initial uh, guidance, they would have only got hurt a little bit. But to raise yeah. your guidance and then miss both of them, yeah. oh, come on, what, what's going on there? So, um, look, now their forecast, the new management have come out and said, look, uh, our revenue is going to drop by 5%, our net profit is going to drop by 23%. Because they're getting rid of all the skeletons. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So, look, um, look, maybe that's right. In, in a different company, maybe you think that's an opportunity. But uh, with these right. guys, until management prove themselves, just stay away. It's on a bit of a rally, two-day rally, lighten or sell, but yeah, could not buy this for the life of me. Okay. All right. Let's uh, recap our final five stocks. That was uh, pretty clear, Callum, uh, from both Owen, Owen and Rob <laughs> on Orica. Yeah. Uh, Tomos, uh, a hold from both uh, Rob and Owen. Um, Wise Tech, um, a accumulate for the long term from Rob, but, but just watch out. Don't not a straight buy, just nibble away at the moment. Um, Owen likes it and is, is a hold, would start buying down around that $20 level. Uh, when microcap, a, uh, a yes from, um, from Owen, if you like investing in portfolios, listed investment companies, if you like, rather than direct, trying to find the microcaps. Um, and a hold from Rob rather than a buy. Uh, Centuria Industrial, a yes from Rob, uh, a hold from Owen. Both of them, if you're after, you would prefer Brickworks as, as an option for it, uh, and Orica a sell. Now, as a result of today, a Tomos, which was in the calls portfolio, now comes out because it was both a hold and, and the WAM microcap. Uh, comes out as well. So, uh, um, big thank you 
uh, to Rob Caller from Macro. Rob, good to see you, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Owen Raskovich from um, uh, Rask Media. Owen, always great to have you aboard. Thanks for having me, Koshi. Cheers, Rob. Uh, That's our show for today. If you've got any stocks you want us to cover and put towards our expert panel, um, email them through the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, You can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio. uh, Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want a complete wrap up of the day in business and markets and finance, You've got to subscribe to the CIB, the Ausbiz newsletter. You get Scuddy's View, the CIB podcast, links to all of the most popular interviews and videos during the day. Uh, subscribe ausbiz.co forward slash the CIB. And uh, the Startup Daily Show from 2 p.m., the show that looks at all of the companies seeking capital and the latest in the startup and scale up sector, venture capital. You and Makash. Uh, uh, is joining the team amongst a whole raft of other interviews as he launches a capital raise for his oyster-growing business, Smart Oysters. That's coming up at 2 p.m. here on Ausbiz. So a lot happening. Stick around. We'll be back after this. 